Bible today. Let's open up to Job chapter 14. Job chapter 14, we're going to be just jumping right in the middle of uh, this man's uh, excruciating pain, where the gamut of emotions, uh, anger, agony, depression, doubt, hostility, futility, they say that loneliness is the deepest kind of suffering. And Job going through this uh, felt all alone. He he didn't know where God was, and then his friends came, and it just they were not there for him either. And so, you know, for us, going through Job, it's a challenging book, but, you know, for me, it's a, it's a really good book to have in your heart, because, you know, like Michelle calling me, you know, the, the day that her mom died. You know, talking to people, reading a book, a testimony today about a little girl who was raped. I mean, we live in a fallen world and just so many tragedies happen and, and how can we bear these things? How can we go through them? And I tell you what, looking at Job, we learn a lot of important things. We learn that although these tragedies take place, that God is not necessarily the author of them. And there is a distinction. He's not the author. Yes, he allows it. And if he allows it, then we must know that there is a point, that there is purpose for the pain. And whenever, when we, when we get to this, and we don't know, it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt, but we gotta know that we don't live on explanations. We live on promises. We don't understand things, but we pray and we go to God and we run to God in those difficult times. And when we do, the Bible says that we will have a peace that passes understanding. And so the Bible says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith, it produces endurance. And so when those things happen to you in your life and to your loved one and to your children and to your brother, sister, friend, parent, whoever it is, that loved one, when those things happen to you, you might get knocked down, but you won't get knocked out because you know what we're learning in the book of Job. You know, later, if we have time, we'll see, we might go over to Romans 8, 31 through 38, but there it just talks about how even in all these crazy things, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And in all these things, we are more than conquerors. And so here in Job 14, notice what we read in verse 1. Man who is born of woman is of few days and full of trouble. He comes forth like a flower and fades away. He flees like a shadow and does not continue. And do you open your eyes on such a one and bring me to judgment with yourself? Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? No one. Since his days are determined, the number of his months is with you. You have appointed his limits so that he cannot pass. Look away from him that he may rest till like a hired man, he finishes his day. In a nutshell, what Job says right there is I'm nothing. Why are you even dealing with me? Leave me alone so I can die. 
It's kind of what he says. And you know, he's just wearing his heart on his sleeve, you know. I mean, remember, all, all of his children died. All ten of them died. He lost all his health, all his wealth. He's covered in boils. He's covered with pain. And his friends are miserable counselors. And so you got to understand where it's coming from. There in the beginning, Job points out the fact that life is frail. Our days are few. Relatively speaking, um, not a lot of time, but a whole lot of trouble. And if you're here today, maybe you've been fortunate to where, you know, it's been rather easy for you. You're among the few. Most people in this world suffer great tragedies. And, And when you look at it, you know, life is short. I mean, the flowers, we have, you know, roses in the front and it's kind of cool. We have these weird white roses that are I remember were given to us when my, when my mother-in-law passed away. And so they've always been really special to us. But they grow really tall because I think roses try to compete with other flowers next to them. I'm not sure how that all works. But, you know, they, they grow up and you're watching them and, and then they bloom. But then they, they begin to die. And then, and then part of you is like, man, I, I wish it would just stay bloomed longer. But it's just a brief period of time. And, and Job is saying, well, that's how we are. Our life is it's like that vapor. It's like a flower. It's so beautiful when it blooms, but not a lot of time. And you guys, we have to know that's what life is. James said the same thing in James 4, 13 through 14. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow how many of you here have plans for tomorrow okay if you don't you're weird most people they do tomorrow you know I'm gonna do this but the bottom line is you don't know if you have tomorrow that's what life is it's a vapor you know, Craig was telling me about his boss, and he guess he was running in shape. He's around my age, and it kind of scared me because he died, just like that. And it doesn't have to be a 50-year-old. We know it happens at any age. This is what the Bible teaches us. I, I say that not to strike fear into your hearts, but faith into your hearts. Are you ready to die? Do you really believe? Because that's what life is. It's, it's short and it's troublesome. You know, Joel here, he makes that point. Again, he's hurting. He's pouring out his heart to God. That really he's nothing in comparison to, to the eternal one. Right? I'm nothing, Lord. So why do you even see me, much less sentence me? We see that there in verse 3 again. Look at what it says. And do you open your eyes on such a one? And... And bring me to judgment with yourself? You know, Job asked the same question in in chapter 7, verse 17. What is man that you should exalt him? Or the son of man that you set your heart on him? Why? We're we're nothing. Why do you deal with us like this? David asked that question in Psalm 8, verse 4. What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you visit him? Look again at verse 4. Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? No one. Right there, what he's saying is that life is hopeless. 
It's hopeless. So why, why bother? You know, and we're going to see that Job, he, he veers to the left, he veers to the right, he comes back on track. He's a real human being, just like us. I mean, some of you here, maybe you got it all together. Maybe you always stay on track every day. You do the right thing, think the right thing, say the right thing. But you know what, man? You're an anomaly if, if you do. We all fall short. We go to the right, the left. We try to stay on track. But Job here is going through some hard times. And in one sense, he's saying, Lord, I feel like there's no hope. You know, I was doing a funeral the other day for a 28-year-old who committed suicide. Such a tough funeral to do. But I, I, one thing I did want to get out there to the people is that if you ever feel like you have no hope, I want you to know that you do. Job felt like he had no hope. He's going, you know, all over the place. You know, in verse 5, he mentions the fact that our days are numbered. Since his days are, are determined, the number of months is with you. You're pointing his limits so that that he cannot pass. Some people live to 90 or 80 or 70 or 60. I have uncles that died in their 40s. I have a cousin that died. I mean, young. I mean, it's just, we don't know. There's a, we all have an appointment with death. And of course, we know it's true. But the whole reason that Job brings this up is because he's basically saying, Lord, I'm going to die anyways. So just let me die in peace. That's what he says there in verse 6. Look again. Where it says, Look away from him that he may rest till like a hired man he finishes his day. You know, and I don't know how you're going to die. Hopefully we all get raptured. Wouldn't that be cool? All right, Lord, please beam me up, man. But you never know, you know? I mean, maybe it'll be instantaneous in a car accident. That's tough too, because if you die instantly, then your family's not prepared for it. You know, or, or I, I read today about a man who was uh, driving home and uh, his, it was, he had gone to this vacation and, uh, and I guess his daughter got car sick on the way. So on the way back, he said, you know what? You and your mom, you fly because I know the drive is really hard for you. So he drove home alone and he had a heart attack on the way home. Those are, some people would prefer it that way, you know, because they're like, man, that way there's no suffering involved. But that's hard for your family because they kind of don't get prepared for it. So I remember my father-in-law, when he was dying of cancer, I mean, just all the pain all this time and then they try to numb it next thing you know that you know he's not really him anymore and, and we're gonna go we go through things like this and so when you're there maybe you're here today and you're thinking man i'm i'm gonna do good you know and i have seen men die with they they taught me i remember my my friend he was an older gentleman he was a cuban man i loved him he loved me he would always give money to my kids. That's how he won my heart. I remember <laughs> Mr. Willie, Mr. Willie, one of the most amazing men. And I remember he taught me so much. And he was one of those guys that would just come up to me and give me counsel, share with me, he encouraged me. He was always that. And then he taught me how to live and then he taught me how to die. Because I remember how he died. Just, it was just awesome. I'm, how will we die you know you might think well I'll do great 
Hopefully you do, but here Job is just being honest. You know, he doesn't have the whole Bible like we do. Remember, this is before any Bible was written. And he's just sharing his heart. He then compares himself to a tree and he grapples with life after death. In, in verse 7, he says, For there is hope for a tree, if it is cut down, that it will sprout up again, and that its tender shoots will not cease. Though its root may grow old in the earth and its slump may die in the ground, yet at the scent of water it will bud and bring forth branches like a plant. But man dies and is laid away. Indeed, his breath, he breathes his last. And where is he? As water disappears from the sea and the river becomes parched and dries up, so man lies down and does not rise till the heavens are no more. They will not awake nor be roused from their sleep. And Job mentions the, the hope for the tree there in verse 7. You know, we had that example in our backyard. You know, we went and we cut. I forgot what kind of tree it is. It's the one with these spiky leaves. And, uh, and they cut it down and it became a stump. But just as Job states here, it's starting to make a comeback, you know. And so some trees do that. And Job is saying, that's the case for my tree, but not, not for me. And, and in reading this, we, again, got to remember Job doesn't have a Bible to pull from. He doesn't have, for example, a great passage in 2 Corinthians 5.8. It says, we are confident, yes, well pleased, rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. You know, we, 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 we have that to pull from, that when we die instantly, that we are in the presence of God. I mean, for Job, it was somewhere like, well, I know eventually I'm going to see God. You know, maybe there's this thing, there'll be a time period, a time gap. No, we know the scriptures. You know, and so he's sharing this, like the tree, it, it, it rises again. For me, man, I don't know the details, right? He does believe in life after death. We know that because of what he says over in Job 19, 26. This is an after my skin is destroyed. This I know that in my flesh I shall see God. So everyone will see God. If you're a believer, you'll live with him. If you're a non-believer, you're going to see him and he'll judge you. Everyone will see God one day. But here he's struggling. As he looks death just square in the face. He says, I'm going to disappear. I'm going to dry up. And again, he might even be wavering in his belief or, or doubting. These are fine lines that we're reading here. We're, we're reading of, of, a, of a genuine, you know, just man pouring out his heart. It kind of reminds me of that story in Mark chapter 9. Do you guys remember that story when that man had his son and his son was throwing himself into the fire. And so he brought him to Jesus. Jesus wasn't there yet. So his disciples tried to cast out the demon to help him out. It wasn't working. Finally, Jesus came down from the mountain and he tells him his situation. Lord, can you help me? Can you help us? And the Lord said, if you believe, I can help you. And the man said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And maybe there's some of you here that if you were honest, you would say, that's me. I mean, sometimes I feel like my faith is so strong and other times it seems like it's so weak and 
I want to grow and I want to be consistent. Here's the thing, you know, the main thing I think is that you're honest. You're honest. Don't be a faker. Don't be a plastic Christian. If you're not a Christian, then become a Christian today. And, and if you're struggling, then cry out for help. Ask for prayer. You know, just really let the Lord deal with you. I mean, you can talk to Dr. Ray and he'll tell you that if anybody goes to the doctors and they're not honest about, hey, you feeling any pain? No, I'm good. And they got, you know, this cancer inside or something. I'm, I'm okay. You know, I go, I go to the dentist. I, he has any pain? No, no. I'm good. I mean, I just don't want you to drill in my teeth, you know. And some people are like that. They're, they come to church. They leave. Oh, yeah, how you doing? Good. You're not really good. How are you going to get better if you're not honest? In verse 13, he says, Oh, that you would hide me in the grave, that you would conceal me until your wrath is past, that you would appoint me a set time and, and remember me. If a man dies, shall he live again? That's right there, a huge question, huh? If a man dies, shall he live again? All the days of my heart service, I will wait till my change, change comes. You shall call and I will answer you. You shall desire the work of your hands. For now you number my steps, but do not watch over my sin. My transgression is sealed up in a bag and you cover my iniquity. You know, it's interesting, like we said, there's this vacillation taking place. Verse 14, let me read it again. If a man dies, shall he live again? All the days of my hard service, I will wait till my change comes. Now listen to it in the New Living Translation. It, it, it says this, can the dead live again? If so, this would give me hope through all my years of struggle and I would eagerly await the release of death. See, and I think you get help when you look at that translation. Can, can someone live again? If so, and we know it's true, then what that does is it helps us through our hard times. And not only that, but we would eagerly look forward to it. How many of you here, you know, you're, you're afraid to die and as Christians, we, I don't know, we really shouldn't be. Maybe the process, but, but not, not the, the, you know, dying. Where are we going to be? We're going to be in glory. In glory. You guys know that? I mean, for the non-Christian, this is as close to heaven as it'll ever be. And for the Christian, this is as close to hell as it'll ever be. But when you're a Christian, even life is beautiful. But you know, when Paul the Apostle, when he was, uh, was going to die and they were going to chop off his head, you know, he said, uh, the time of my departure is at hand. He said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. And that word for departure in the Greek language, it spoke of a, of a guy that was camping. And one day he put down his tent to go home. And you guys, you guys like 
going camping, just out of curiosity. And it's, it's, it's fun for, for a few days, right? But eventually you're like, man, I want to go home. <laughs> and you start, and you're, that's what we're talking about. This is earth, that's heaven. You know, the same Greek word is used for a guy, he's out there in the middle of the ocean, and he's sailing, and he's doing his job, whatever, fishing. And then one day he lifts up the anchor to sail home. You see, that's heaven for us. As a matter of fact, it's interesting, that same Greek word is used in Greek literature to describe a man who's in prison. And then one day, he's set free. Do the dead live again? They do. They do. And therefore, I look forward to it. That's what we read here. I mean, if it's true, then... Praise God, you know, I don't know about you. I want to live my life to the hilt. I want to do whatever it is God wants me to, to do while I have life. But once it's time for me to go home, ah, man, I want you to know this, that I will be in glory and I'll be happy. For Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So don't be afraid of it. It's so cool what we read right here in verse 16. He says, For you number my steps, but do not watch over my sin. This is what happens when you, when you have a, a relationship with God of grace. I mean, he's watching your steps, but he's, he's not like counting your sins against you. Look at verse 17. My transgression is sealed up in a bag, and you cover my iniquity. You know, because Jesus died on the cross for those sins. And so that's why we look forward to heaven. It's all about grace. That's what he wants. That's what he hopes. But again, he's going up and down. He's being bombed and bombarded with doubts. Look next at verse 18. For as a mountain falls and crumbles away, and as a rock is moved from its place, as water wears away stones, and as torrents wash away the soil of the earth, so you destroy the hope of man. You prevail forever against him and he passes on. You change his countenance and send him away. His sons come to honor and he does not know it. They are brought low and he does not perceive it. But his flesh will be in pain over it and his soul will mourn over it. Definitely when you read this right here, it's a low point of Job's pain. You know, when the meaning when you lose the meaning of it all, you guys, it's just a mess. It crumbles. When you don't understand that rock-solid doctrine that we have and that the Lord is working all things together for good. Job right here is being lied to by the enemy. In verse 20 of the New Living Translation, it says, You always overpower them and they pass from the scene. You disfigure them in death and send them away. And, and you know, sometimes when you see people die, I mean, I, I remember this one other Bible college student that we had, uh, Ramon, awesome brother in the Lord. He loved the Lord. I remember one time after class, he said, can I have lunch with you? I, uh, I just want to get to know you. You know, I know you love the Lord and I know you love us. And I remember we were just talking and this guy, for a young man, so in love with the Lord. 
But then he got this, this awful, awful disease. And his face was caved in in his last days. It was just, it was awful. And that's what Job is saying. You got, you allow, God, you allow people to go through that. They're dying, they're disfigured, then they die. They don't even know what happens to their kids. He says right there, we don't know if the kids made it or didn't make it, if they were raised up in life or if they were brought low. You know, for us as parents, that's kind of one of the things too, huh? You know, because I'm like, okay, Lord, I, I kind of want to see if my kids make it, you know? I kind of want to see my grandkids. I mean, sometimes that's, you know, the, our concern. And let me just share this with you. The Lord loves your children and your grandchildren a whole lot more than you do. But Job is just saying, Lord, I struggle with these things. I see this happen. But, but what caused death? Was it God? It was us. And we see this right here. The devil. It's not God. God will redeem all this. But we got to know. We got to know doctrine. And so in chapter 15, Eliphaz then responds to the, the Temanite. And he answered and he said, Should a wise man answer with empty knowledge and fill himself with the east wind? Should he reason with unprofitable talk or by speeches with which he can do no good? In Eliphaz, he points out the errors of Job's words immediately and, and callously. He's insensitive and he has zero consideration for Job's pain. Um, as Job is just sharing, he calls it empty knowledge, a bunch of wind, unprofitable talk, wasted words. But you guys, I think we've gone through this book long enough to know that if you're there, you're trying to comfort someone who's going through excruciating pain, you know, you're going to be more sensitive than these guys were. It's not some theology lesson. You know, you got to, you just sometimes just be there. You don't know what to say. You know, in verses 1 through 13 of this chapter, we'll see he basically says you're not wise. In 14 through 16, you're not innocent. And then in 17 through 35, you're not right. Remember, Job was there seven days. None of his friends said anything. And then three friends began to talk. Eliphaz, Bildad, and then Zophar. And they talked, Eliphaz three times, Bildad three times, Zophar two times. Eliphaz is the, the oldest one, that's why he talks first. And then eventually the youngest guy named Elihu, and eventually he comes onto this scene somewhere in this whole dialogue, and he shares, you know, forever. <laughs> but you know, his friends, they were called friends in Job chapter 2 verse 11, but they failed in the fellowship of friendship. I tell you what, if I ever find myself in a situation like this, you're going to a man, you're trying to minister to him in excruciating pain, I would not be condescending and judgmental as these guys were. But I've seen some Christians do that. You got to be careful. We'll read later the final exam in Job 32, verse 3. The Bible says also against his three friends, his, speaking of God's wrath, was aroused. Because they had found no answer. 
and yet had condemned Job. So they were blinded by their judgment and all this so-called knowledge of God and His ways. Uh, they articulated no accurate answers or helpful words. You know, so you guys know this, right? That, that wisdom is not just knowledge. What does the Bible say? Knowledge does what? It puffs up. But love builds up. Love edifies. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. Where you speak the right word in the right way at the right time. These guys weren't doing that. Eliphaz just tells Job that he has no fear of God, that he obviously hadn't brought it into the prayer. Look, look there at verse 4. He says, yes, you cast off fear and restrain prayer before God. Or we see later, he does pray. Job does pray. This guy doesn't know what he's talking about. For your iniquity teaches your mouth, and you choose the, the tongue of the crafty. Your own mouth condemns you and not I. Yes, your own lips testify against you. Are you the first man who was born or were you made before the hills? Have you heard the counsel of God? Do you limit wisdom to yourself? What do you know that we do not know? What do you understand that is not in us? I mean, does that sound like a comforter? He basically says, we know it all. Look at verse 10. Both the gray-haired and the aged are among us, much older than your father. Are the consolations of God too small for you when the word spoken gently with you? Why does your heart carry you away? And what do your eyes wink at? That you turn your spirit against God and let such words go out of your mouth. He says, we're just being, we're being gentle. Have you guys ever heard of that, that phrase, passive-aggressive? Have you guys ever heard that? that? That's pretty much what was going on right here. He accused Job of sin in, in verses 5 and 6. Look again what he said right there. For your iniquity teaches your mouth. You choose the tongue of the, of the crafty. And he chooses he chooses him of sin, of a pride, like Job is saying, I know it all. But he says, No, we know it all. We got gray hair, we're older than your father. We're right. Were they right? They were not right. And the reason we know they were right is because God said they were they were wrong, is because God said they were wrong. And guess what? If we're not careful, and if we don't repent. One day you're going to stand before God and then you'll find out that you were wrong. I'll tell you what, I'd rather find that out now than then. You know, he said they spoke gently, but somehow I just don't get that vibe. He said, you're in sin, Job. Look at verse 14. What is man that he could be pure? And he was born of a woman that he could be righteous. If God puts no trust in his saints, and that might be in reference to angels, and the heavens are not pure in his sight, how much less man who is abominable and filthy, who drinks iniquity like water. And that's what he's saying. You're in sin. And here's the thing, you guys. It's true. We are sinners. All of us here, we sin 
because we're sinners, we have a sin nature, the Adamic nature. Psalm 14, verse 3, they have all turned aside, they have together become corrupt. There is none who does good, no, not one. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. I mean, we know who we are. Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all sin, and I would venture to say we probably all sin every day. But was that why Job was suffering? No. See, and that's where they were off. Job wasn't a perfect man, but he was a proper man. He was upright. He feared God. He shunned evil. That was his testimony leading up to his suffering. Some people suffer because they are in sin. Others suffer because they are in a life of obedience. Job's friends were all convinced that Job's sin was the cause of all this, but they were wrong. Look what we read in verse 17. He says, I will tell you, hear me what I have seen. I will declare what wise men have told, not hiding anything received from their fathers, to whom alone the land was given, and no alien passed among them. The wicked man rises with pain all his days, and the number of years is hidden from the oppressor. Dreadful sounds are in his ears, and in prosperity the destroyer comes upon him. He does not believe that he will return from darkness, for a sword is waiting for him. For he wanders about for bread, saying, Where is it? He knows that a day of darkness is ready at his hand. Trouble and anguish make him afraid. They overpower him like a king ready for battle. For he stretches out his hand against God. Notice again, they're, they're saying this is Job that he's wicked, that this is how he's living his life, and he stretches out as against God, acts defiantly against the Almighty, running stubbornly against him with his strong, embossed shield. I mean, Eliphaz, he thinks he's wise and he knows the Lord of the land. We read that in verse 19. He thinks Job is wicked, according to verse 20, and that he deserves years of trouble because he's an oppressor. That he has like this terror in his ears and even on the good days. And when he's in prosperity, it's not going to last because the destroyer is after him. Again, you know, we do have general truths about what happens to those who are living in wickedness. But it's not applicable to Job. You know, Proverbs 25.11, it says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. You know, and I want to encourage you to use your tongue wisely. You know, and you, I mean, you have to be careful, man, of, of course, jesting. I mean, I thank God for laughter. Don't you guys, aren't you grateful that we can laugh? As a matter of fact, let me tell you a joke real quick. No, I'm just joking. I won't do that. But tickle spots. You know, thank God for tickle spots. But you guys know the Bible says that we got to be careful, of course, jesting. Because eventually, you know, the enemy begins to use those things. Sometimes we say things that we ought not say. Wise is the man. Mature is the man. James chapter 3. Who knows how to use his tongue. Right? He bridles it. These guys, they didn't know. They had no clue whatsoever. Matthew 12, 18 through 21 says, Behold my servant, speaking of Jesus, whom I have chosen... My beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased, 
I will put my spirit upon him and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. And what that means is he wouldn't shout in anger. But listen to what he says about Jesus. A bruised reed he will not break. And that's when someone's hurting. They're, they're, they're bruised inside. And you just go up to them with absolutely no sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Sometimes I've seen people do this so selfish. And they just slam somebody. We got to be careful. I mean, a bruised reed. Jesus knows that person's hurting. He's not going to go up to them and deliver the death blow. God, help us to be like Jesus. In verse 27, it says, Though he has covered his face with his fatness and, and made his waist heavy with fat, he dwells in desolate cities and houses which no one inhabits, which are destined to become ruins. He will not be rich, nor will his wealth continue, nor will his possessions overspread the earth. He will not depart from darkness. The flame will dry out of his branches, and by the breath of his mouth he will go away. He's just talking all this negativity to the people who are bad. He's thinking that's Job. Let him not trust in futile things, deceiving himself, for futility will be his reward. It will be accomplished before his time, and his branches will not be green. He will shake off his unripe grape like a vine, and cast off his blossom like an olive tree. For the company of the hypocrites will be barren, and fire will consume the tents of bribery. They conceive trouble and bring forth futility. Their womb prepares deceit. And when you look at this, it's crazy. You know what he's saying regarding, you know, Job. In, in verse 34, the, the company of the hypocrites will be barren and fire will consume the tents of bribery. The tents. What are the tents? That's our house. That's our house. I mean, the company, we believe that's probably in reference to either the servants or the family. And you know what he's saying right here? He's saying, your kids died and they deserve to die. You deserved it. That's how callous they were. We know the story. We saw Job chapter 1 and 2. We know that wasn't the reason. You know, and maybe you've gone through hard times and sometimes we blame it on God. We get mad at God. I, I want to encourage you, just in case you've experienced a lot of suffering growing up and you're like, Lord, I don't understand why it happened to me. I want you to know something that in the book of Job we see there was an awesome plan woven into all that. As you've gone through whatever it is that you've gone through, you don't have to live life defeated. You can know that even in those things that you've gone through, that God has a plan. And you can rise up 
and you can prevail. And I've seen God do great things. I've seen God work in people and through people and he lifts them up and the next thing you know, they're like a, like a Billy Graham. That can be you, my friend. God has been using Job's life for how long now? Probably the, the oldest guy that we read about in the Bible. I mean, you know, as far as patriarchs go. Real quick, chapter 16. Then Job answered and said, I have heard many such things. Miserable comforters are you all. <laughs> so we read the book of Job and we learn about uh, sufferers and we learn about comforters. We really do. Shall words of wind have an end, or what provokes you that you answer? I, I could also speak as you do. If your soul were in my soul's place, I could heap up words against you and, and shake my head at you. But I would do it different. I would strengthen you with my mouth, and the comfort of my lips would relieve your grief. See? Joe says, you, you guys are just talking. like I could do the same thing, but I wouldn't. If I had the opportunity and you were in the situation that I was in, I would go to you and I would comfort you. Now, now, real quick, I want to say this. You might look at these comforters and you're like, man, they're bad. Those guys are terrible. But let me, let me ask you a question. Do you know anybody who needs a visitation? At least they went. Maybe you need to go. Visit them. And share words of comfort to them. That's a strong ministry. Verse 6. Though I speak, my grief is not relieved. And if I remain silent, how am I eased? I mean, Job is saying, I need to talk. I need to vent. I, I need to do this. But, but now he has worn me out. You have made desolate all my company. Again, that might be in reference to servant and family. You have shriveled me up and it is a witness against me. My, my leanness rises up against me and bears witness to my face. He tears me in his wrath and, and hates me. He gnashes at me with his teeth. My adversary sharpens his gaze on me. And it's kind of like he's mixing in, like he's kind of saying God and and the enemy and these miserable comforters, they're all just ganging up on me. And they gape at me with their mouth. They strike me reproachfully on the cheek. They, they gather together against me. God has delivered me to the ungodly and turned me over to the hands of the wicked. I was at ease, but he has shattered me. He also has taken me by my neck and shaken me to pieces. He has set me up for his target. His archers surrounded me. He pierces my heart and does not pity. He pours out my gall on the ground and he breaks me with wound upon wound. He runs at me like a, like a warrior. You know, and, and you read this and you're like, man, I mean, he, he's wrong. Remember when Jacob said the same thing? When Joseph had, you know, he thought died, he disappeared and... You know, they have his other brother and then they, they want to take Benjamin. And and now what does he say? All these things are against me. Remember he said that? All these things are against me. 
and you look at something and you're like, this is so bad, so negative, so unproductive, so contrary to the good things of God. And yet, in, in all these things that we think are against us, it was God saving them. And that's the beauty of the Lord, that nothing can touch you unless it's been filtered through His sovereignty. And He won't allow anything to touch you that won't be good for you as long as you keep your eyes on the Lord. And so, but, but we, we get these feelings. Just being honest. He says, I have sewn sackcloth over my skin and laid my heart in the dust. My face is flushed from weeping, and on my eyelids is the shadow of death. Although no violence is in my hands, and my prayer is pure. I like that. O earth, do not cover my blood, and let my cry have no resting place. Surely, even now, my witness is in heaven, and my evidence is on high. My friends scorn me, my eyes pour out tears to God. Oh, that one might plead for a man with God as a man pleads for his neighbor. For when a few years are finished, I shall go the way of no return. Real quick, verse 21, the New Living Translation gives us an accurate view of what it says. It says, I need someone to mediate between God and me as a person mediates between friends. He said, I need a mediator. You know, I'm, I'm going to die and, and, and they're going to bury me, but don't let my blood go uncovered. Let justice prevail. I need someone to fight for me. I need an advocate. I, I need a mediator. And we know uh, earlier Job had said something like that as well in chapter 9, verse 33. Nor, nor is there any mediator between us who may lay his hand on, on both of us. And it's so cool because we do have a mediator, huh? What's his name? Jesus. Jesus. 1 Timothy 2, 4 through 6. Let me read this to you in closing. God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. You know, maybe you're squeaky clean. Some of you here, you're, you're squeaky clean, huh? And like you get, like you got perfect thoughts. And if I were to, to be able to read your mind, it would just be like perfect. But then some of you here, if I were allowed to read your mind, I would never want to talk to you again, you know? <laughs> Have you guys ever heard a saying, like if I knew you, like completely, you know, I wouldn't want to talk to you. And if you knew me, the same thing, you know, you wouldn't want to hear me teach you. I mean, this is the way it is, right? The Lord knows our hearts. So we're, we're all in this same place that Job is. But as we're there, and he's crying out for a mediator, he's on, on that side of the cross. And we're on this side of the cross. And we know, huh, that he took our hand and he took God's hand. And he died for us there. And when you look at that and you look at the sufferings of life and everything that we go through, and we're, we're singing about it earlier, you know, the 
You're praising Him on the mountaintops. You know, you're praising Him in the valleys because you know He's got a plan in all these things. And so I pray, you guys, man, that we'd be encouraged. Here's, here's the way I look at it. Like if you're in a fight, any of you guys get in a fight when you're younger? Some of you girls too, huh? <laughs> and you know, I remember watching these guys fight, man. And, and I just remember like, boom, like square in the face. Boom, like man, just hit so like solid. But I've seen some guys, man, just, you know, doesn't, it, they, don't, they don't fall. And I'm like, man, I don't think I could do that, you know? But, but it's kind of like life is, is going to be like that. You're going to get hit right there. And if you don't know what we're studying today, you very well might fall away or fall out of the will of God. And that's why it's important that we know things like this. Because I want you guys, I want myself... I want to stay in that perfect will of God. I want to make sure that one day when we're home in heaven, that all of you will be there. And I was talking to one brother today, and he said, oh, I want to meet with you. I know you're really busy. And, and I, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll hook up, man. We're going to work it out. But in heaven, we're going to have eternity. You know, we might be busy, but hey, we'll meet like in a million years, but it won't matter because we'll have forever. So, are you guys going to be there? Do you believe? Do you believe you're a sinner? Who needed a Savior? And that Jesus died for you on the cross? He shed His blood. He bore the, the pain, the suffering, the sentence that you deserve. They put Him in a grave. He rose again. Do you believe? Not just here, but here? If you do, you're saved. But it's got to be here life, he'll show it. Faith that doesn't change my behavior will never change my destiny. Jesus is so good. I pray that you would know that.